Welcome back to the Breakside Podcast, here for episode 22. This is your ultimate destination for in-depth collegiate and professional Frisbee discussions and interviews. I'm your host, David Adamitis. If you enjoy this content, please give the podcast a follow on whatever platform you're listening to. Also, make sure you check out our Instagram at breakside underscore podcast. This episode's guest has been around the ultimate Frisbee scene since 2012, where he began playing for Whitworth University. Since then, he's been active in the club scene as well as playing for the old AUDL team, Cincinnati Revolution. Currently, he's playing for the men's club team in Cincinnati Omen and the AUDL team, Detroit Mechanics. Introducing Brian Walsh. Brian, thanks for being here. How are you doing? Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here, man. Of course. This is awesome. You know, first we got, you know, the important questions got to go first here. I love to hear what's your favorite tournament snack? Oh, man. My, my, my favorite or what I have to have to, <laughs> to right, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with both there. Then. <laughs> the favorite tournament snack is always the uh, after tournament beer from the team cooler. You always got to go with that one. It's just like the best, most refreshing. You just played seven games. You're feeling horrible or, or great, depending on the tournament. And that first one is just. It's so nice. I love it. What's the one that you have to have to get you through the tournament then? Oh, it's got to be a, it's got to be a Cliff Bar, and it's got to be the, uh, the chocolate chip Cliff Bar, and it's got, and it's like probably, probably four total. I think like two a day. Like without that, I'm just, I'm, I'm dragging. I like it. I'm a big fan of Cliff Bars as well. Maybe we can get them to be a sponsor or something. <laughs> oh, hey, there we go. Shout out Cliff Bar. <laughs> Shout out Cliff Bar. I love it. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hit first here the you know the club scene. You obviously have a wide range of ultimately you've played, but the most recent is your time with Omen, especially uh, the club nationals are taking place and actually just a few days from now. You played for Omen, which is you know, obviously a very talented team based in the Cincinnati area here, Cincinnati Dayton area in Ohio, and you guys just missed that birth to the nationals um, this coming weekend. Could you just talk me walk me through? Uh, that regionals weekend. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, we obviously had high expectations coming in. We were trying to run it back last year. We qualified for the first time in program history and really thought, you know, let's run it back. Let's shoot, shoot for higher. Let's make the bracket at nationals this year. So we had some high expectations going in. We weren't by any means overlooking the regular season or anything like that. Um, we're just setting our sights high and saying, hey, you know what? If I'm short, doesn't matter because you got to shoot for something. Um, going into regionals, we obviously only had one bid for the region, which was it's going to be tough from the get-go. Uh, machine is, I don't know, everyone's heard of Machine. They're a very, very good team. Um, we knew basically, all right, well, we got to beat Machine. And there's a host of other teams that are not going to be easy sledding by any means. Uh, went into the tournament. We, I like everyone, had some health issues with people. Um, I think that's just kind of ultimate um everyone's dealing with it not no, no excuses by any means but definitely had some health issues with some with some guys dealing with nagging injuries some guys that were out um would say we were we were focused and we were ready to play um but we had we had had struggles with getting um high numbers for the couple practices leading up into regionals which i, which I think really hurt us um you know unfortunately we're not full-time athletes so you know, jobs, family, whatever things come up. And then sometimes that's just the lot you're, you're dealt with. So we were a little, uh, came out a little flat, lost game one to an up and coming Michigan team that played very well against us, beat us down. And then we uh, ended up having to play machine game one of Sunday morning instead of in the finals, like we were hoping to. 
And either way, we're like, yeah, no, we got to go through them to win. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if we play them. Came out against them. They did beat us a little. It's kind of a blur. I haven't reviewed the film. We did film every game, but I've kind of taken a, a mental break from uh, watching it for a month or two, and then we'll get back at it. Um, yeah, came out flat and then ended up coming back and uh, having to win our last game to qualify to get back to uh, elite or flight status to get back in, in the TCT events and hopefully get a strength for next year. But yeah. It's always tough when you have, you know, go all through the whole long season and you come up a little short, especially the prior year when you mentioned you did guys did go to nationals. Do you think going into the season, then you're, you know, you're went to nationals last year, you have this expectation, or I think sometimes you can fall into the assumption that we're going to go to nationals. Do you think that was a mentality that you struggled with or did that help fuel you guys to play well? What was that mentality like? So we, our mentality started really high level of, we deserve to be here. This wasn't a fluke. Let's go prove it. Um, we, we wanted that attitude. You know, we beat some really good teams throughout the season. We knew that we could hang. It was more just taking the step to becoming a program, um, especially at the open level, is incredibly hard. There's so many perennial teams. I mean, there's 10 teams that go every single year. And then the, 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 the six can shuffle a little bit behind that. But, I mean, it's very – I mean, I think Sakai missed nationals this year for the first time, and I don't even know – forever <laughs> and you just expect these you know group of 10 to go back and then the the other teams are fighting for those six and we wanted to say okay let's make it year two then three then four you know but we're focusing on year two this program's going to take off um I, I think we i won't say we wavered but a season it was our first season where a lot of guys got to experience a full slate of nationals level competition so we did pro elite us open and elite select um, whereas in the past it would have been like, okay, we got elite select and then we have a local tournament or some like uh, Chesapeake invite, things like that, where you play some high level teams, but it's not every single team in your pool from Saturday at 8am till Sunday you're done is a nationals team. And I think it's just the grind is tough to learn. And, and we, we learned a lot of hard lessons. Um, but I don't think it was a mentality thing that really shook us. It was more just, it's really hard to find that consistency and take the next step up. And we, we unfortunately failed in that aspect. Talk to me a little bit about the the team dynamic, team culture. Like I mentioned earlier, you also play in the AUDL. I know Will Weddingale plays for you guys as well. He plays yeah. for the Alley Cats, and I'm sure there are other guys that play pro as well. Just talk to me about what that team culture, team dynamic is like. Yeah, I think we had a total of, man, I want to say it was like 10 to 12 guys who play in the ADL. Uh, so we had a good amount of ADL players on our team this year. Um, the team culture... So last year we went from being mostly local, we had a couple out-of-towners, um, to this year we added a, a decent amount more out-of-towners. I want to say like, I think it was eight or nine guys, so about 30% of the roster was out of town. So from the beginning, just learning new people um, is always something you got to figure out, you know, team chemistry, culture, um, you're taking a lot from success from other people who've had success everywhere else, and then you're trying to form it together. So we don't, we don't have a coach. If you know, you know, we had a coach, it'd probably be different because then you listen to him and say, this is this is what we're doing. You don't get an option. But when you're collaborating, you know, we have a leadership board and the captains. Um, you're taking all these other aspects of all the other players that have had success everywhere. Um, we have we had a really talented team um, and then trying to, like, you know, cram that together. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You get punched in the face and you're like, whoa, was it our plan going in or was it just talent or what just happened? Um, and so I think culture wise. I think we struggled to really be cohesive for a lot of the season. 
and it wasn't for one reason or other. It just that was kind of the nature of what, what happened. Um, and I know by the end of the year, I would say we kind of left feeling like there's so much more we could have done. Um, like, like what happened? I think we're still kind of searching for the answers there. Yeah. When you look at, you know, you take very talented players, everyone comes into a situation with their own ideas. Um, I, I think I find that or I've learned that, you know, players show up to these club teams and they have this, this background of them being very successful. They want to come in and implement their own ideas, but then you add a whole team of people like that. It's really hard to find that this is what the identity of the team is. This is our style of play. So I do agree that a coach probably would have, you know, aided that situation, but yeah. I think you know, a lot of lessons learned for you guys that you can look for next year and, you know, taking a look at some of that film, I'm sure will help as well. But, you know, sadly, your season is over, right? Nationals are going on. I'm sure you guys will be watching that and mm -hmm. cheering on some teams, maybe not others. <laughs> but now that the season's over, what does what does the offseason look like for you? Uh, yeah, so for me specifically, it's number one, getting healthy. I, uh, I had surgery on my Achilles uh, almost a year ago, so November of last year, um, and was able to – I only had a partial tear – um, so I was able to come back and play last season. Um, but I definitely, um, I, it was, it was tough. <laughs> it's a lot of rehab, um, a lot of treatment during the season, working with the doctors Some cortisone definitely helped out, um, in some areas. I mean, just a lot of things that as an athlete, you're, you're fighting to be there for your team, but you're also like, man, this is tough. Like, 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 where's the balance? Do I, do I try to play through this or not? Um, so for me personally, it's, it's getting healthy first and working with my, um pt right now pretty much every day um trying to trying to get back to 100 percent i'll be i'll be 30 next year so i'm 29 um ultimate that's not that's not uh that's not horrible um other you know maybe football it's like oh the, the end <laughs> the end is here um but i feel like i still got a lot of good years ahead of me so just trying to get healthy first and uh then get right back at it talk to me about the the mental aspect of kind of coming back from an injury especially achilles like you hear horror stories of people out there and i think for me, I would view that as I'm constantly be in the state of afraid that I'm going to make it worse if I play on it. Mm -hmm. But also then I want to be out there playing for my team. Like you, like you mentioned, how do you find that balance? You know, I, I won't pretend like I have the right answer. Cause I don't, um, there were, there's weeks where you go and you're like, what, what am I doing? This is like, like, why am I doing this? This is dumb. Um, I have a lot of other aspects of my life that I, like, I, I would rather, uh, you know, make sure I'm okay for. And then the other part, the competitor and the, you know, we all love ultimate. It, we wouldn't be playing if we didn't love it. It's expensive. It's time consuming. Um, it wears you out mentally, physically. Um, you have the highest of highs and the absolute pits and depths of the lows. And for me, I, I it was definitely, it was definitely a lot of ups and downs this year. Um, I, like I said, a couple, I, I was able to, I, I've had two quarter zone shots in it to be able to play through some things. And obviously, you know, being safe, talking to my doctor, like, hey, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, harm my, <laughs> I, want, I want to be able to walk some, you know, in the future. I'm not, not like I'm doing anything crazy or, oh, look at me, it's so tough. It's nothing like that. It's more just like, can I do this? Is this okay to do? Um, working with people that make a lot more money than I do, who can tell me the answers, you know, doctors, things like that. But, um, and then just following the direction, be like, okay, if I can play, here's what I'm gonna do. Um, if I get cleared, great. If not, I'm not going to risk it. But I, I was I was cleared to do everything I was doing um, at a level that I didn't want to quite do. I still was able to perform in my role, um, but definitely didn't play, um, wasn't able to do what I wanted to do and, and jump my game up to the next level, which was very frustrating. That's so challenging. 
you know, not only fighting through injuries and another aspect that is a challenge, I imagine, on a team like Omen. You, know, you mentioned earlier a lot of very talented guys. I'm sure you mm-hmm. go to nationals last year. You know, you almost make it this year. You have a lot of AUDL players, yourself included on that team. A lot of talent there. Mm-hmm. Another challenge I think it comes with having so many AUDL players is balance of schedule. And this is a topic I've talked about with you know coaches and the AUDL and other players is how do you balance the AUDL schedule and the club schedule because they do overlap. You know currently you play for Detroit, which mm-hmm. is quite a drive from you know being down <laughs> where Omen is. Yeah. How do you manage which one takes priority? How do you manage you know, the wear and tear, just the miles of driving back and forth these games? Talk to me about that that whole aspect. Yeah, so we have a group of guys from Cincinnati and Dayton. It's depending on the weekend, um, it's five or six of us. We take a van up to um, somewhere in Michigan. Pretty much, I mean, it's pretty dang close to every weekend from February February until the end of the ADL season. So like late, what is that? Late July? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you're, I mean, we're always gone. Um, it's about six hours per practice. Um, it is absolutely brutal on your body to, go to a six hour practice and then get in a car for six hours. Uh, I don't think any health expert would recommend it. So in that aspect, I mean, that alone, AUDL alone is a tough commitment and then going right into club season. And then when they kind of mesh over, so you're practicing during the week, we have our workouts for AUDL. We're obviously, you know, not meeting with the team because we're six hours away. We have our weekly pods, um, our weekly workouts. And then when club starts up, you have your, add your weekly club um, practices. And the blend is just brutal. I mean, from a physical standpoint, you're, 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 there's only so much you can do to make sure you're fresh. I mean, at some point it's like, you're not going to be fresh. And um, that, that is what it is. Um, so you kind of just have to learn to balance it out. I think for us, something we suffered for from on Omen was we didn't do a great job of planning out like practice weekends that we would be able to do way in advance knowing like, okay, here's a bye week for maybe the cats for mechanics for um, these other teams, or we think we can get a, a large amount of the team here for like, say, six hours on Sunday, six hours on Saturday, and you really just like, this would be huge for us. So we, we did that late in the season, but we should have done it a lot earlier. Um, it would have helped us a lot more. Yeah, it's so much to balance. And you, you mentioned that injury, and you add two different seasons that are going on at the same time, you're going to get beat up over and over again, but you, <laughs> you're putting yourself out there again and again, because obviously you love the sport. And it's not something that that pays a whole lot. Obviously, that's you know a growth in the sport. It's coming, but it's for the love of the sport. It comes down to, and something I found very interesting that you said is, is you're not always with the team in Detroit since you do live so far away. You know that group mm-hmm. of six you have, it's quite a challenge for you to be there. When you said that, my mind went that must affect the team culture a little bit since all the guys kind of aren't all there together. What does that dynamic look like for mechanics then with you know, so many of you guys not being all together all the time? Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of kind of like a, a deep dive here, a brief deep dive into mechanics. So we have, I mean, I'm, I'm just going off approximate numbers, but I think it's eight or nine guys from Ohio total um, parts of Ohio. We have, I think we had, what do we have one, two, three guys, three guys from Minnesota, I think three guys from Chicago, a handful, a couple of guys from Tennessee, um, and then guys from all over parts of Michigan. So, I mean, we had a lot of traveling just for practices cumulatively. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of teams are like this, but I don't know. I, we, we gotta be near the top in terms of like cumulative miles traveled just to practice. Um, so it's, 
It's crazy. And I think from a culture standpoint, though, if you play for Detroit, um, and I'm never going to hate on the team, I'm never going to hate, you can look at the record. If you, if you look at the team and just think the team sucks, I will say the first to be like, that's fair, because you're just looking at a, a number standpoint, like you've never been part of the team. There's a lot of really talented players uh, who have played for that team over the time, the four years I've been on the team. A lot of talented players, players that have been poached to other teams too, that are starting on other teams. Like we have great players who have been through the program. Um, but culturally, you have to be a culture guy if you're going to play on, on DMX. You probably won't stick around because it's going to be too too taxing on you from a losing standpoint. I mean, it's, it's not easy to lose games. So I, I was at the culture was, for the most part, pretty good. Yeah, Andrew Shogren was one of those guys that used to play yeah, for Detroit. Yeah, my guy. Yeah, he's on this podcast as well. Definitely go check out his episode. He plays for Chicago now and very, very talented athlete. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you know, you can go look at the record. You know, Detroit has struggled to win a game in, you know, last couple of years here. What's it going to take to get you guys in that win column? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if I had the answer, we would have already won. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, oh, I think I almost, I, I, I'm getting to the senile point of like, you almost have to practice weekly as a team to be able to have a chance because the, the ADL is just so talented. There's every team. It's not, there's no easy wins. Even us, like I, I'm sure our division, a lot of times marks, oh, cool, bye week, whatever. I don't really care, whatever. I, there's so much disrespect you take before you, you don't even hear it anymore. Totally fine. But even that, I mean, like there at any given weekend, anyone can beat anyone. And I think that it comes down to who can convince guys to be here and value this more than being gone for whatever, whether that's club, whether that's other life things, whether that's moving to the, to the state. I mean, I moved from Washington to Cincinnati originally um, to kind of, to get away, try something new, but, but partly to play in the ADL too, for a, for a different area. So I think a lot of that is like, if the sport does grow up farther and, and you can make more money. I mean, it definitely will happen. Um, and it, it might be that. I don't know. I'm still working through the answer. If you got any ideas, I'd love to know. <laughs> would, oh, definitely. <laughs> it'd be great. I'd love to get some wins, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, I mean, I think that team culture has a lot to do, right? Chemistry and the flow of the game is so important. And, you know, a lot of the guys in the Omen, you know, that, that, that live, you could say, the double life. They play in, you know, two different seasons at the same time. And this is not an, a new thing. You know, it's kind of come up in different conversations I've had. A lot of players do it. But I'm curious, if you want to see kind of the growth and the talent of the AUDL increase, do you almost think teams should put more, like the AUDL teams should put more emphasis on having their guys, you know, focus solely on the AUDL? Do you think that would improve the growth of that? Or do you think there should be this balance between the two different scenes? So that's the goal. Um, if you ask anyone in, you know, the league from, you know, Steve Hall, the commissioner, um, the ownership groups, I mean, they're very, they're pretty publicly open about the goal is to make the ADL be the, the prominent, like the of most importance. And for, for some guys it is. Um, I mean, there's some guys making great money. It's, it's very few, but some guys are full-time AUDL players. I mean, they, they get paid to do it and their contracts stipulate. I mean, you're not, you're, you, you will not, you don't have the choice to skip AUDL for club. It's just not something you can do. And I, I, you know, obviously from a, entrepreneur standpoint i'm sure all the owners would love the udl to take off and that to be the number one thing right make some money i mean that's that's the end goal i think for a lot of guys i, I don't know what it'll take to, to get there i think it's starting to get there um and if you notice kind of the numbers of championship weekend and kind of 
the media exposure and it's it's by no means drastic but it's every year has increased in terms of viewership and people being like interested in it and and really owning like this is the you know pinnacle of the sport it's not quite there club national still is still a pinnacle for sure but it, i think it's catching up definitely have, and you'd be the guy to totally recognize that growth you've been around this sport for so long mm-hmm. Like I mentioned in the intro, you played for Cincinnati Revolution, a team that doesn't even exist anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, shout out, though. We had the, <laughs> that team was That's awesome. That's so man. funny. When I saw that you had played for them, like the day before, I was in this deep dive in AUDL history. I was reading some random Wikipedia page, and I saw that, you know, the Cincinnati Revolution was a team, and I just moved to Cincinnati myself, so I'm like, no way, there used to be a team here. So it's, it's really funny. <laughs> But I would love to hear more about this team. What was the deal with Revolution? How'd you get there? Why'd you get there? So, <laughs> yeah, so I graduated college. Um, I had I was very broke, as most people are that graduate college. Um, and my buddy, who captained the Whitworth Frisbee team with me for a couple of years, um, had graduated a year before me. He was just working at some um, some pharmaceutical company, I think, in Spokane, Washington, um, where Whitworth was. And so I graduated and he said, all right, like, what, 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 what should we do? Let's go do something. And so we were like, you know what, let's get away from the, from the Northwest scene of ultimate, try something new. Like, I don't know, let's see what other types of ultimate is out there. And we were both like, Hey, let's, let's try out for an ADL team. And then a good friend of ours was like, Whoa, my, my buddy um, plays on the revolution. You can stay at his house um, and go to try us there. And we were like, sure, why not? So we bought some plane tickets. My senior year was so January, 2016. Bought some plane tickets to Cincinnati for some random, like, I think it was like some horribly long, like midnight to 4 a.m. try, or, you know, just how, how it always is. It, it indoor at the University of Cincinnati football indoor, like, bubble. Um, we got offered contracts, played well at the tryout. The owner was like, here, here's contracts. Here's what you guys knew. We were like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so moved out here, played half a season. I had to wait till I graduated. He played the whole year played half a season, the team went under in the fall, and it was like, well, I definitely cannot afford to move somewhere else, so looks like I'm in Cincinnati for, for the next couple of years, and here I am, been here ever since. Oh my goodness, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the team doesn't even exist anymore. It was only around for, I think, you know, one, one year, two years, was it? No, no, I think, so it, 2016 was the last year, and if I remember right, it was one of the original teams, so 20, what was that, 20... 2012 2012 was the first year but i think it actually was in lexington bluegrass and then it It, moved to cincinnati yeah it was 100 percent yep and then yeah and then moved to cincinnati but so that last season um i mean again that was just another team i i you go back and look at some of the names man that team had some insanely good players who now are like have found success in all these other adl teams and club teams but man i've that was a really another like great accumulation of talent and we just couldn't win a game it was just unbelievable but, i uh, wish it was yeah. still around now that i'm living in the city it would have been so right? fun to have a team right here yeah <laughs> like i went up to indianapolis to watch the alley cats play but that's you know two hours away it'd be awesome if the team yeah. was in my backyard right um right but you've seen you've been around this you've been on their own sport so long you've seen teams come and go especially in the early years of aodl if you look at every year for the first couple of years you know t- new teams are coming teams are shutting down but it seems as if the the scene's kind of evened out. It's been a couple of years of stability, and it doesn't really seem to be the question: Will the AUDL even exist next year? Right? It's it seems to be there to stay. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's room for expansion for new teams, 
would you want to see new teams? Or do you kind of like the format and what they have? So even if you look back, and I, I, I this is actually interesting. So if you look back at some of the prominent teams like the NFL or leagues like the NFL, the NBA, things like that, um, even the NHL is now considered, you know, one of those top tier leagues. I mean, there's still expansion going on in those leagues. I mean, and those are, you know, a new franchise is hundreds of millions of dollars, if not in the billion range. Um, so I think that it's, there's always room in pro leagues to do that. Um, I think it's just a chance of, or it's, you have the people that are willing to go broke to start the leagues, right? The people that actually take the risk and say, you know what, if this doesn't work out long-term, then, well, whatever, that's what the, I'm throwing my name in the towel or throw my name in the hat. And then from there, you know, you start to build and, and then it turns into like a destination for very wealthy people. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable to think about the amount of money the teams are in the NFL, NBA, things like that. But for the ADL specifically, um, I think we're at that stage where I think you'll still see a lot of shuffling. So I, I, I would be shocked if more teams didn't fold over the next five, six years, um, maybe even a prominent team or two. And just like, hey, we don't, the, the owner doesn't, doesn't want to eat these costs anymore. Um, we're not able to get into the green. We're close, but he's just, he's done with it. And there's no other people in this city or people that we could find to, to take over. I think that will happen. Um, I also think though, inversely, um, you'll see a lot of these cities, you know, these big cities that don't have teams that have good sports um, cultures, good fits for it, um, will rise up and, and create new teams. I mean, like Houston, you know, firstly, Houston's a great sports city, you know, boom, pro league last year. Um, I, I, I think there was, always talk about Kansas City um, potentially having like an expansion. There's a lot of areas that would make great cities for it. It's just who's willing to take a risk. You have a prominent, you know, ownership group in that area that could put together funds and be like, yo, let's, let's do it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll happen more. And the good thing is, you know, the last couple of years, it seems like it has been continuous growth. So wonderful to see that there. If you could maybe pinpoint a thing or two that you see kind of would be key in the next couple of years, the AUDL, just to invest in some areas that you could see some improvement, what would that be? Yeah, so there is this bridge that the AUDL needs to find between having the majority of the fans be Frisbee players who want to watch Frisbee because I think majority of Frisbee players love watching Frisbee. Um, I know I do. Um, I think figuring out a way to turn it into, okay, how do we get fans that aren't Frisbee players? obviously right like it's so easy it's so I, I mean I don't have the answers but I think that getting to that like bridging that gap is the next big step if, if I had to think about it um I do spend a decent amount of time thinking about this stuff just because I, I very much care about the long-term success of the sport I'm kind of all in with um ultimate but um I, I think that that's number one um I think number two would be getting a sit getting a team back in Cincinnati the best the best city for it. Oh yeah, you know? I hundred percent agree on. with that. <laughs> like whoever's listening out there, who's got a lot of money, willing to take a chance. Like you got people to help. I got volunteers. Like we're ready. Like come on, let's do <laughs> Bring it. Bring back, back the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so fun. Hopefully, yeah. I just you know wish all the best and continue continue growth of the sport. Right? We both love right. it. We're not doing it for the paycheck. I'm not getting paid to do this podcast, but <laughs> yeah. I just you know love one the day, sport so one day. much. <laughs> one day that would be that would be the dream, right? <laughs> But, you know, there are obviously, you know, so many talented players. You, you could look at your own career. You've played with so many. You're very talented as well. Have there been a player or two that you kind of looked up for, you know, motivation, inspiration, trying to learn from them, or maybe even like motivational quote that's kind of like just helped you along in this in this athletic journey? Okay, so this is actually less so a motivational quote, but probably like the best moment of my Frisbee life was I... <laughs> 
worshipped Ben Wiggins um, when I was just getting into the sport. He's, you know, like the godfather of Frisbee, essentially. And a lot of people are, man, that guy, like, he just, he, he did it. Um, him and Seth Wiggins, his brother, obviously, too. But Ben Wiggins, like, man, that, that dude's got it. All the throws, that dude, you know, created um, all these. He had, like, the the tit, the, the, like, throwing I think they were like playing cards or something and they all had like oh here's a drill you can do or whatever he just he, he created all this material for ultimate and had all this like he was trying to get it to the next level and i remember when i was <laughs> just getting into college we played at this alumni tournament a party tournament that was like non-sanctioned all these um you know there's some college teams like whitworth there and then there's all these like alumni people from all over and there was this team we played that was like a bunch of old sockeye guys um and he was on the team um and I was like oh my gosh that's Ben Wiggins like that's like my hero like I, I I've watched it like I, I want to be like I want to throw like him one day and they were playing zone against us naturally as like an old alumni team does they don't want to run around and we were taking it really seriously like these are some old sockeye guys like we can beat these guys and we'll we'll make a name for ourselves I remember I was really into you know lefty backhands because you know I was a college kid and I still thought they were like a good throw um since been cleansed of my mindset um, and so I threw like this lefty backhand over over Ben Wiggins in this cup, and I completed it. And I was walking out the field. It was a score, and he he said, "Hey!" And he turned around. And he said, "Nice lefty." And I was just like, "Oh my gosh! Like I made it! <laughs> like, I, did it. Just, I, I am somebody." And I remember being like, "That was like the the culminating moment of my short frisbee career at the time." That's so, so that, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> yeah, those moments. Like there's certain moments I think in any athlete's life where you just can like close your eyes just like relive that over and over again like rehash those with the guys like you remember this remember this throw this play and that's obviously one of them for you that's awesome right (laughs) and you know another question here for you is i'm not not calling you old in this question but you've been around the sport for a while you know question about longevity how do you stay fit healthy obviously you've been dealing with this injury but how do you kind of keep your body being to, to handle this taxing weight of continuously pushing yourself for months and months of the year? How do you keep yourself, yeah, just longevity with the sport? Yeah. So as I get older, it's, um, and totally fair, I'm 29 turning 30. It's fine. I've, I'm, I'm joke about it. I'm one of the older guys on Detroit last year. I was like, I'm one of the vets now. Look at this. Like I, I got the knowledge. I've been around. Uh, but I think as I've gotten older, obviously, I think at like some point it hits like, oh my gosh, I got to take the recovery process more seriously. Like I really got to take care of my body post-tournament, post-ABL games, whereas in your, you know, early and mid-20s, it's just like, you just bounce back. It's like I put in the, I put in all the, all the work, uh, all my programs in the off season. And then during the season, I keep up with them. And then you just like, you don't got to do anything else. Um, and then as you start to get um, in late, late 20s, and specifically as like injuries start to catch up. So like, Last year, I, I dislocated my shoulder against Chicago. I had like the partial tear of my Achilles. Just like, like they start to kind of stack up. Um, like I got a concussion. I mean, just like just the these little things like pop up, right? And they start to add onto this like whole idea of you. And you just start to feel like, oh my God, a tweak there. I got this there. Um, and it's figuring out a way to take the recovery more um, seriously. Um, not that I neglected it, but it was just my body bounced back and now it doesn't as well. Um, and so finding programs um, for recovery as much as programs for off-season preparation. Um, I use, uh, it's called Advanced Ultimate Training, um, ATTI. It's uh, the program that the owner of the Detroit Mechanics, it's, he's, it's his company, um, Brent Steep. But I use that. He, a lot of his programs are specifically recovery focused, um, like, and, and it's specific for 
after a tournament, you do this during car drives, like stop at a gas station and do this. Like it's very honed for a long season playing a young club. So that's what I use. And I, I love it. I think it's incredibly helpful. I think that's an area people definitely don't talk about enough is the post-game recovery, post-tournament recovery. Yep. Your body is so taxed, you know, especially mm-hmm. you're playing a tournament in the club scene, you're playing, you know, six, seven, eight games in a couple of days, your body's beat up, especially those right. long car rides. You know, people don't focus enough about that. Myself included. I'm the kind of guy I'll stretch before the game. And then after the game, I just <laughs> want to go home. <laughs> right. So I think that's, you know, people need to hear those words a little bit more. And, you know, Brian, you've been around the sport for a long time. You know, keep on mentioning that. In a lot of different areas you've played in. What would you say kind of your dreams are at this point in your career? What are you trying to mm. accomplish in the sport of ultimate? The goal, um, I mean, the goal when I was in college was college nationals. Like, that was, you know, the dream. Like, oh, my gosh. We lost two games to go. Never were able to make it, which was a bummer. But, you know, life goes on. Still had a great time. When I got to... The, the mix scene was the first year I played in clubs. Seriously, it was 2016 when I moved here. Um, played Steamboat, we went to nationals and kind of crossed off like, okay, made it to club nationals. Um, we did that a couple of times with Steamboat. It was, it was a great time, loved that team. Um, with Open, it was now like, oh, the epitome, I'll go to Open Nationals, cross that off. I think for me, I would love to make quarters at Open Nationals. Um, and maybe, I don't know, I think anyone can, Sand, like oh man yeah I'd love to play for the USA team I'd love to do all these like crazy things like I think looking at it like I mean it's fun when you're when I when I was younger it was always like yeah I'm the, I want to be the best player in the world and now it's like you know, there's a lot of really good players <laughs> like I want to have like goals that like you know what maybe I got a shot at this I think it'd be really cool to make Omen a program where we go back and we're expected to go back and people we go into the season people say yeah they're going to go back and it's more like hey what are, what's our goal for nationals not our goal is to qualify um and, and i think if we can begin breakthrough quarters and it's taken i mean it takes some teams like five to ten years to do that so i'm i don't know but i think that would be like really really awesome from like a team individual standpoint and a team standpoint i really think that that would be like oh yeah like i can all right like like we did it um i think that'd be really cool it's interesting is a lot of your goals you mentioned are focused on the club scene, especially the Omen. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything with the AUDL with, you know, playing for Detroit or I don't know if you plan to play it for anyone else down the road, but at least in your current, current position, but it seems like a lot of your focus is with, with the club. Is that, is that correct? And how I'm viewing that? I, so yes, in terms, yes. Um, I, I would say AUDL, I mean, shoot, I, I would love to, I would love to get, Detroit a win I I think that would be I mean it was I think like there's there's a lot of guys that I have met and played with on that team over um so first year was 2020 obviously COVID canceled that year um but so I've been playing for four or four years with the with the Detroit team and there's been a lot of guys in that program who I've met who are like man like these guys put in so much effort into this team to try to get this team a win. I mean, just a ridiculous amount of time, ridiculous amount of physical, mental exertion. And it would be really awesome to, you know, I hate the term break the streak. I just hate it. It's like this buzz term and people are like, oh, yeah, break the streak. It's like, yes, yeah, you're right. The team hasn't won in a long time. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously get a win there would be awesome. Kind of turn that that franchise around would be really cool. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen. I don't know if I'm going to play ADL next year. I, I've got to get healthy first. But um, yeah, small small goals, I guess. Get a win in the ADL would be nice. I didn't win a game for the Revolution either. 
not a single one. That's that's a little tough record there. So I think you have to stick around at least one more year. I know, right? <laughs> or or just come come start the team in Cincinnati then. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty good goal as well. <laughs> oh my goodness, Brian, thank you so much for everything you've shared here. This kind of brings us to the close of the interview, though. Mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you for everything you shared, and I just want to open it up. Is there anything else you'd like to like to share with us? Yeah, I, uh, I, the, a common thing for me, if you know me, prob- I've said this a lot, but um, I always like to open this up. I'm a big, big, big advocate for mental health um, and for just having someone to talk to. If I don't know how many people listen to this. I'm, I'm going to start listening because this has been a great time and I'm going to start supporting the pod for sure. But um, if you're out there, you're listening and you have no one to talk to, I'm always open. 509-885-6464. That's my phone number. Text me, call me. I don't care who you are. I'll always listen if you're going through something in life. And I think everyone needs someone like that. So that's that's all I got, man. But uh, yeah. That's incredible. Brian, way to send it off on an incredible, powerful note. I, I couldn't agree more. And to throw yourself out there, anyone's disposal, utmost uh, respect and commendability there. So once again, thank you for the wealth of knowledge you shared, the history of the AUDL, the club scene here as well in the Cincinnati area. It's been a great time talking with you. And as always, make sure you check out the Breakside Instagram at Breakside underscore podcast and our Twitter at Breakside underscore pod. And then make sure you check out you know, Brian's ADL team, the Detroit Mechanics on Instagram, and keep up to date with them as they hunt down their win with Brian <laughs> next year. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of episode 22. This is David Adamitis and Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening. Have a great night.